All right, let's look at this. Um, again, it's great to see you. No matter what you've done, no matter what, uh, yeah, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, uh, we're glad that you're here tonight, and we're glad that, to be together. Um, it's good to see your faces, and RUF, as I said last week, it stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're one of the many campus ministries on campus um, and my name is Matt. I'm the RUF campus minister, and Caroline is our intern with RUF, and we'd love to meet with you. And uh, we've been meeting with a lot of you guys, and we take meeting one-on-one with you guys seriously, and so don't um, hesitate to reach out. We'll find a way. Caroline and I can go on campus. We have permission to be there, and um, like I said last week, we'd love to meet off campus as well. Um, but we, we'd love to meet with you uh, if you'd like. Um, we're an imperfect crew of people trying to figure out how to love God, love others, and love Wofford. That's why we are uh, meeting tonight, and that's who we are. But more fundamentally, we're a community bound by the reality that before we love God, before we love others, before we love Wofford, God loves us. And God's love has been revealed to us most profoundly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And uh, as we said last week, uh, RUF, in short, is about love. Um, and so this semester, we're looking at relationships. We're, we're exploring a series where we figure out how to be skillful at love. Skillful at loving God, our neighbors, our own selves, and our own communities. Um, and Christianity, as we said, it is, is an inherently uh, relational religion. Because before all time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed in a community of love, of this eternal dance, it's been called, of self-giving and receiving of love before all time. And out of an overflow of love, God created the world and created you and me in his image. Um, And so we're created in the image of a triune, relational, personal God. And so we have to talk about relationships, even in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so last week we talked about 1 Corinthians 13 to get us started, um, the most, probably the most famous passage of writing on love, and that was kind of our intro, what is love? And tonight we're going to be exploring what I'm just going to call like first love, first love, God's love for us, God's love for us, and our focus text tonight is 1 John four. I'm going to read it now if you'll follow along, and friends, God isn't silent He's spoken to us because he loves us. He, he hasn't spoken to us go, to give a theology exam or a book of rules to follow. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is described often as, as actually a love letter to rebel children, and that's you and me. And so he's spoken because he loves us. Let's uh, direct our attention now to it. First uh, John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also, um, as he is also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. In many ways, that last verse 19 uh, is our entire series. Um, Let me pray for us. God, you have spoken to us because you love us and your word is living and active. And Lord, um, we are grateful that you are not silent. We're grateful that you are not stagnant. We are grateful that you are not apathetic. Lord, you are intimately involved in our lives. You have spoken to us to draw us into communion with the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are so committed to renewing us from the inside out to make us not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And Lord, We ask that you do that now. Um, Lord, I know my mind is restless. My heart is is busy. And I ask that you'd slow me down and I ask that for everyone here. We've had a busy day. Many of us just got done like packing up tables at the interest fair. Um, And so we're tired. So Lord, speak, help us to believe, trust, and obey you in Christ's name. Amen. Game plan is this, um, two points, like normal. First, uh, God's love pursues. Second, God's love sacrifices. And we're asking this question. What does God's love do? What, What does God's love do? First, God's love pursues, and then it sacrifices. Let's do the first one. God's love pursues. So, friends, the heart of Christianity is God's love for us. In RUF, we say that a lot, that at the heart of the gospel, it's God's love towards us. That's uh, God's pursuit of a rebel people. We We talk about that a lot. And growing up in the Bible Belt, if you did, many of you did, Many of you grew up in church. You've probably heard that a lot, that Christianity is first and foremost, this first love. It's about God's love for us. But here's my sense. I've been, this is my fourth year on campus. I think I'm kind of convinced of this on a personal level in my own life and in the life of college students. Many of us, even though we grow up hearing that Christianity, at the heart of it, it's about God's love shown, of us, shown 
in, in, most profoundly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's about. Many of us think that being a Christian is fundamentally about our love to God, our love for God, our devotion to God. And so Christianity becomes about your Bible reading plan. Being a Christian becomes about fundamentally about praying. Christian, Christianity becomes fundamentally about waiting till marriage before you have sex, refusing, refusing to cuss and to drink and to smoke and to do whatever else is sort of culturally taboo in the South in a quote-unquote Christian Bible Belt culture. Christianity is fundamentally now about crossing T's and dotting I's and tit for tat. We often think that Christianity is fundamentally about our love for God, our devotion for God. And that's why, without fail, y'all know this, every January, there are dozens of articles online about Christians making New Year's resolutions, about being more sold out for Jesus. Like, you can take it to the bank. This January, you're going to see them. And here's the sad reality. Many people either walk, you probably know people like this, or you maybe have done this yourself. Many people have either walked away from Jesus or refused to give him a shot because they are so worn down by the burden of being 100% sold out perfectly for Jesus. Do you know anyone like that? Are you, are you there now, like tonight? Have you ever made a vow to God, like from now on, I'm going to pray every day, stop sleeping with my girlfriend. I have a perfect Bible reading plan. I still can't get it right, but I'm going to do it right this year. And then you go for weeks. January goes into February and life happens. And you slip up in your devotion and the flame of your zeal begins to die out because you live in a fallen world and you are finite. And the good news of Christianity, friends, is not primarily concerned with your love and devotion for God. The good news of Christianity is that God loved you first. The good news of Christianity is that God in Jesus Christ has loved you first and he has pursued you. And that's what the Apostle John says in our text, verse 10. In this is love. He says this in like 75 different ways in however many verses. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God's love in Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel. Because your devotion to God is not good news. Because you'll never love God perfectly. You can never be sold out enough. It's truly hopeless if you're, ta- if you're putting all your weight on your own obedience. Christianity is about God's love and his pursuing rebels who fail in their devotion, who run back to false lovers and saviors who are sick with shame and guilt. That's who Christianity is for. And it is good news for those who know they can't fix themselves. Now, you might be asking yourself as you hear me talk, now Matt, you know, I know you went to seminary. You probably know that Christians are called to love others. So you said this yourself. Christians are called to obedience. Like the world's pretty messed up right now. There's a lot of work to do. And the church kind of needs to get after it. You're right. Absolutely. Of course we do. 
We are absolutely called to live a life of devote. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. He's not playing around. It's not an option. We are going to spend a huge chunk of the semester talking about this, that's this semester, of loving God, loving this world, all of our neighbors. But listen, I cannot overstate the importance, and if you hear anything tonight, I hope you hear this. I can't overemphasize or overstate the importance of us starting with God's love for us. That's the first love. That's where we start. That's where we begin. You guys have probably seen this tagline. I know Caroline and I have joked about this tagline before. Um, It's become like a meme that is on t-shirts and on coffee mugs, and it's like the most um, millennial like girl thing I've ever, this it's, that's maybe a sexist thing to say, but it's like, so here's the phrase you've seen this before, but first coffee, right? So this idea of like the grumpy person who's never going to be a morning person. Don't talk to me for 45 minutes because I'm so grumpy in the mornings. Maybe your roommates like that. Maybe you're like that. And so they say the catch all term is, but first, before you talk to me, before I do homework, before whatever, Coffee, but first coffee. Y'all, when it comes to Christianity, the priority is on God's love. It really is before we do anything else. This is why like, we're relentless in RUF about talking about this, and we're not gonna stop talking about it. Like, before we talk about loving God, before we talk about loving neighbor, before we talking about loving Wofford, we're talking about God's love for us. And we don't move on from that. There is no moving on from God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Okay, so God's love pursues. Let's go to the second one. Well, actually, before that, I want to talk about the prodigal son. Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, three parables. He tells three parables in a row. You might know this. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Those are the three stories. And he told these three short stories to illustrate basically the love of God. There are stories about um, God being depicted as a man on this relentless pursuit to find this coin, a shepherd on a relentless pursuit to find the lost sheep. He leaves the 99. And then a father on a relentless pursuit to find his prodigal son and then leave the party to go out to talk to his pharisaical, self-righteous older brother. That's why it's called, it, shouldn't, it should have been called the parable of two lost sons because both sons are, are lost. But I want to zoom in on the parable about the prodigal son for a second. You might know that story. Two sons, younger's the wild one. He goes up to the dad and he says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. And it was a way of saying, dad, I want you to die now so I can have all my stuff now. Okay, is extremely insulting. His dad graciously gives him all of it. Go, here it, here it all is. All that I have is yours. He gets the inheritance and he goes off to the far country, parties hard every night, like parties at the row uh, have nothing on what this did. This dude did. He spends uh, all of his money, ends up homeless. He wakes up. He wakes up to what home really is, and what home has for him, and that his father is at home, and home is only with his father. And he wakes up, 
And he doesn't expect to be welcomed back, and so he prepares this sorry speech, this apology speech, and he rehearses it. And in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a storybook Bible that uh, I have just grown to love so much and uh, can't wait to read it to our little girl uh, one day soon, this is her summary. Sally Lloyd-Jones wrote that storybook Bible. This is her story, this her summary of when the father sees the son come home, okay? Y'all are familiar enough with this story, I'm sure, but just, just listen to this. This is what she says. As he starts for home, though, he being the prodigal son, uh, the father begins to worry, or the son begins to worry. Dad won't love me anymore. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son anymore. And so he practices his I'm sorry speech. At this time, what he doesn't know is that day after day, his dad has been standing on his porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. He can't be happy until he gets his boy back. The the son is still a long way off, but his dad sees him coming. What will his dad do? Fold his arms and frown? Shout, that'll teach you? And just you wait, young man. No, that's not how the story goes. You see, the dad leaps off the porch, races down the hill, through the gap in the hedge, up the road. Before his son can even begin his I'm sorry speech, his dad runs to him, throws his arms around him, and can't stop kissing him and ends up throwing him the biggest party around. Friends, I love that story and many of you do. What a beautiful picture. Um, The father, can you see that? Scanning the horizon day after day, eagerly waiting for his boy to come back home. Friends, that is how God views you. Whether you've been a Christian for a week or you've been a Christian for a long time, you've always known to have a relationship with Jesus. God looks at you that way with this pursuing love that will not rest until you are with him at home with him. He runs to us and pursues us, eager to race down the hill, to wrap his arms around us. He's so eager and willing to do this, to forgive us, to forgive you, to satisfy your soul, to give you rest. God loves sinners, and that is the reality of Christianity, and that's where we start. Now we go to point two. God's love doesn't just pursue, God's love sacrifices. God's love sacrifices. The Apostle John talks a ton about God's love in this passage, and also this is the same writer who wrote the Gospel of John. And he says that God is love. God is love, and he unpacks what that means, and he does so by using a fancy, confusing theological term in verse 10. Did you hear that word? Here it is. This is love. Not that we love God. He loved us first and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Have you heard that word propitiation? What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. 
It's actually a debated word in church history, but essentially the word means this, that on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God for sinners. In short, Jesus died the death that we deserved to die. He bore the punishment that we deserve to experience. God's love, friends, is a sacrificial die-in-your-place kind of love. That's what it is. Like we talked last week, love isn't just like fuzzy feelings, strong affections. Love like has flesh and bone. Love takes on flesh and goes up on a cross and dies for you and for me. There's this campus minister who was at UVA for a long time, and his name's Sean Slate, and he's a really funny person. And um, he loves the show or the documentary series called Planet Earth. And I just want to tell you what he said uh, once in a sermon. Here's what he says. This is when he was at UVA. <laughs> I hope that all of you have seen the series Planet Earth. If you haven't, let me know. And if you need to come over to my house, my door is always open. As soon as possible, come over to my house. I have the DVDs and it's amazing. Well, on the jungle episode, there's this fungus that destroys everything that it comes into contact with. It's amazing. So this fungus will land on an ant. And that fungus will then bear its way or bore its way into the body of the ant, and then it will make its way to the brain. And when it gets there, somehow it releases a message to the ant to climb a tree. And when the ant gets to the top of the tree, it attaches itself there, and the fungus begins to digest the ant from the inside out. Eventually, a mushroom-like thing will pop out of the head of the ant, And when the wind blows on the mushroom, thousands of fungal spores are released in the air that will fall. They land on the ants below and they destroy the entire community. And then Slate goes on to say, this is what Adam's sin is like. His sin was like a spore set free by the wind that will destroy all of us. He continues, What is even more incredible is that when a community of ants, this is crazy to me, when a community of ants realizes that one of their ants has been infected, they will send an uninfected ant to remove the infected ant from the community so that the community will not be destroyed. But in doing so, that ant will be infected and die. And so this is what he says. This is the amazing thing. God has built his gospel into nature. Jesus is like the ant sent to remove the fungus that constantly infects us. And he was infected. Jesus was infected and died so that we might live. The uninfected for the infected. And that is what is true now of Jesus now becomes true of you. And just like Jesus went into the grave, you come out. If he is your representative, even though you go into the grave, you will come out and reign with him forever. Friends, let me say uh, very plainly to you tonight, Jesus died in your place. Jesus died in your place. The the uninfected dies for the infected. And what is true of Jesus is now true of you. The cross is the greatest picture of sacrificial love. At the cross, Jesus said, don't punish her, punish me. At the cross, Jesus said to the Father, don't cast him out, cast me out. 
And this is the good news. Just by owning the fact that you can't clean yourself up and trust that Jesus' death is enough, you're clean, period. It's over. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anybody's in Jesus, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he goes on, verse 21, heart of the gospel right here. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. He did not sin. He lived a perfect life. Why? So that in Jesus, we, the infected, might become the righteous, the righteousness of God. So at the cross, friends, said it last week, I'll say it again. The sin of all of us was placed on Jesus and he bore the wrath right then and there. And when we like have a speck of faith in Jesus with a childlike faith that he is enough for us, the perfect righteousness of Jesus is given to us. And when the father looks at us, he sees his own son. It is crazy news. God's love pursues and it sacrifices. God's love is first. God's love is primary. We simply love in response to his love, not out of guilt, not to merit or earn anything, we can't do that. It's impossible. And if you've tried, you know how tiring it is. And y'all are doers. Y'all are talented. You got into Wofford. Like, you're gifted people. You can get after it and work. And you can build your resume. And I know you try to build your re- resume when it comes to your spiritual life too. And it's going to exhaust you. Stop. Don't do it. Throw in the towel. Jesus is enough. You don't move on from that. Read your Bible, yes. Go share the gospel overseas, yes. Pray, of course. But it's not you're not earning anything. Now, there's all kinds of stuff that we could say about this passage in terms of how to apply this to our lives. I just want to say one thing and kind of walk to, through a couple of things, Okay. I want to invite you to regularly bask in the love of God. Regularly bask in the love of God. Jonathan Davis, one of my friends who many of you know, former RUF campus minister as well, he had this like um, routine that he, when he would put um, his kids to bed, his three daughters, and he used to tell them the same thing every night before he would tuck his daughters into bed. And this is what he would say to his daughters. No matter what happened today, no matter how you look, no matter what kind of day you had, no matter what you do, nothing will change my love for you because I love you because you're mine. I love you because you're my daughter, not because of anything that you do. He said that every day. He wanted his daughters to regularly experience and hear and remember their status as a daughter of their dad. And so friends, you need to regularly bask in the reality that if you are united to Jesus by faith, no matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, no matter what your resume says, no matter what you're going to be doing after Wofford, no matter how this crazy year is going to go, nothing will change Jesus's love for you. Jesus loves you because you're his child, period. And look, there is no 
there's no turning back from that. There's no moving on from that. There, you can't do business as usual when you experience that. And I, I just want to invite you to, to regularly, uh, regularly bask in that in three very specific ways. I already said it. The local church, y'all. The first, the local church, because RUF's not the church. Preaching in the Lord's Supper. Y'all, regularly hearing the gospel in the preached word and tasting the gospel in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Like, you've got to do that. Like, you, you exclusively hear and bask in the love of God in the local church in a way you can't do it anywhere else. Second, I do hope that you get in plugged in with a campus ministry. And my hope in RUF is that you're reminded of week after week and again after again that you are deeply loved by Jesus. And as you experience uh, the love of God, I hope that you experience actually the hospitality and grace of Jesus in community where it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you're involved in or not involved in. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if you're in, from the South or not or whatever. That we're a community bound together by grace, not performance and not status. And I hope you can experience that. We want to be better about that. So church, campus ministry, third, give yourself to Christian community that's rooted in grace. So here's what I mean, where you can actually confess your sins to somebody and know that they're going to extend grace because they know your real like your identity is in Jesus, not your performance or sinlessness or your sins, where you can repent together and forgive together and laugh together, where all that can happen, where you stretch each other. So church, campus ministry, and then just a community, a company of Christian friends that you can trust. I, ho- I hope that you can regularly experience the gospel there. Last thing is this. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Rest. Easier said than done. There's a old hymn, many of you know this, uh, and it's called... Um, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. And there's this line. This is the heart of the gospel in one like line, one part of a stanza. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Come to Jesus with nothing in your hands. Don't do anything. Because you don't have to. Just accept the free gift of his love over and over. And friends, whether you're a senior or a freshman, whether you've been a Christian for a week or a year or your whole life, there's no moving on from this. I want to read one thing and we're going to be done, okay? I'm actually going to screen share this. And it's from a book. I just want you to follow along if you can. Let's see here. Come on, Zoom. I think this is clear. I hope it is. If it's not, just just follow along as I read this, all right? David Ireland wrote a book titled Letters to an Unborn Child. Ireland was dying from a crippling neurological disease when he discovered that his wife was pregnant. Knowing that he would never see his own child, he took up his pen to write all that he would never have a chance to say to his unborn child. In those letters, 
He writes to his unborn child about his wife, the child's mother. David is in a wheelchair. So what he says, your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it entails what it does for me. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage and put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around the other side of the car, start it up, back it up, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back into the car, and drive off to the restaurant. And then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, seats me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. And when it is over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out of the car again, and reverses the same routine. And when it is all over, finished with real warmth, she looks at me and says, Honey, thank you for taking me out on a date. Uh, Friends, um, what a picture of the gospel. Um, Whose love has priority in that story? He has nothing to offer. He did nothing. So friends, don't do anything. Rest and let him do all of it. Because he already has. He's, it's over. It's finished. It's really finished. And you don't get past it. Let me pray for us.